Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Uh, Now, we get on the air every uh, weekend because of Alan Dempsey. Uh, He is the engineer of the year. He he gets that award every year. Uh, I award it to him. Uh, Andrew Herdliska produces the show. And we welcome to Orlando Denise Wilson, former missionary and church planter. She's in Ontario, Canada, author of Seven Words You Never Want to Hear and How to Be Sure You Won't. Denise, that is some title, isn't it? I love that title. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Yeah, it is quite a title, isn't it? <laughs> what's, Nobody what's... wants to hear those words. Uh, how did this book come about? Well, the book started actually as a letter to my family. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, and uh, although my siblings all professed faith, I had great concerns for their salvation. And the passage in Matthew 7 um, comes to mind, which, where it's, um, which is where the title comes from, and it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. And they're frightening words. And I just, I had concerns for my family, which is how I started it. But I mean, there are so many in our churches in the world who are in danger of hearing those words, because the Bible says there are many who are going to hear them, and those are people who profess faith, people who believe themselves to be saved. And so that's how the book started. Chapter one, you call the Christian home syndrome. Uh, what's that mm-hmm. What's that about? Yeah, well, it's, I think often when kids grow up in Christian homes, as I do, they get very familiar with hearing the message of the gospel, um, they know they they know all about Jesus, but oftentimes what can happen is there's never been any real any true repentance in their hearts. It's just it's just a lot of head knowledge. And since um, it was um, a while back, actually I tell the story in the book. There was a girl I know who was saved and out of a you know a different lifestyle. She didn't go to a she she didn't grow up in the church. And she started attending an, uh, an evangelical Bible-believing church, and she was really disillusioned and shocked when she, when she noticed she was in her 20s. Her peers, who, who claimed to have faith, they all professed faith, and they were living in a way, in, in lifestyle that she just left. And they were getting drunk, they, were, they swore, they slandered one another, they were sleeping with their boyfriends and girlfriends, and these were all the professing Christians, and she... I remember her talking to me and just like just in shock, just thinking, what is going on? How is this possible? All these people that are, you know, saying they're Christians and they're all living this way. And and I think that there's that disconnect, you know, people know a lot in their heads and it's easy not to really have a relationship and to be deceived into thinking that you do. Now I want you to move to the next topic. It's called How Jesus Evangelized. Fill us in. Yeah. Well, I, I have a chapter about that, sharing um, how Jesus dealt with different people. And uh, the message was the same, the message is the same of the gospel, but Jesus approached people different ways in sharing um, the gospel. And um, one of the, one of the um, people that I feature is the uh, rich young ruler and how Jesus shared the gospel with him. And in that story, the great it's a great encounter because the rich young ruler kind of came to Jesus. He came running. He came with urgency. He came with humility. He came kneeling. And, and he said to Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And um, Jesus looked at him and he loved him, but, but he told him, he pointed him to the law. You know, the, the, he showed him the commandments. And the rich young ruler wasn't willing to give up his riches and um, but Jesus loved him, but he didn't chase after him. And it's just a really good example story because nowadays, often what happens in that kind of a situation when an evangelist or someone sharing the gospel is they're saying, "What do I have to do to be saved?" And the answer they hear is, "Just believe in Jesus and ask Him into your heart and repeat these words after me." And 
the person's never really thought it through sometimes. They haven't counted the cost. And when we see how Jesus dealt with this situation, he didn't chase after him. He didn't just make it easy for him. He, he pointed it to him to the law, which is what I think is missing sometimes when we share the gospel. We want a quick um, decision, and we don't uh, allow people to really see themselves as sinners so that they can repent and that so they can be saved. My guest <clears throat> from Ontario, Canada is Denise Wilson. Her book, Seven Words You Never Want to Hear. Uh, Denise, um, next topic. You simply mm-hmm. you simply call the chapter Follow Me. Uh, what, yeah. are you, what are you writing there? Yeah, well, I'm talking about discipleship in that chapter. And Jesus says, um, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And those are very strong words. And I think sometimes when we hear words like that, um, in the Bible, we, our tendency is to gloss over them and think, well, Jesus didn't really mean that, you know, because that's, really, that's a really strong statement. So to carry a cross in, in those days, what it would mean was you're going to die. Because, and that's what the Bible says. As a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus, we're to die to ourselves. But I think today the world's philosophy says live for self. But Jesus said die to self. So we're called as disciples to... Um, to die to ourselves, we're called to carry our cross, and um, we're called to follow Jesus and to do what he's asked us to do and to obey him. And, you know, I think, you know, if all we have to do is just repeat simple words, then I think, why did Jesus say that entering the kingdom of God is hard and that the road is narrow and there's few that find him? A disciple in the Bible was a very, very, very high calling, and there was... um, and it doesn't mean that salvation is about what we do, but when we are following Jesus, it's going to make a change in our life. And that's what we're called to, is to follow him and to love him, and we show that through our obedience. And now <clears throat> I want you to move uh, on to the next topic, Denise. Examine, sure. examine your beliefs. Uh, how, do we, mm-hmm. how do we do that? Yeah. Well, it's really important to examine our beliefs. And the Apostle Paul in Corinthians He tells us, um, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? And the book of Corinthians, it's written to a church. It's written to um, professing Christians. And yet uh, Paul's telling them, you need to examine yourselves. And that's what we all need to do. And that's the purpose of this book is to encourage people to examine themselves if someone professes to be a Christian, they need to look at their lives, they need to examine themselves, and they need to determine, are they, do they, are they really following Jesus? And I, as far as examining our beliefs, I think of the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But then when you go to John 3.36, you find another verse. Let me just quickly find it here. And it says, And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. So we, we, we focus on the belief, which is essential. But here we find they, they're interchangeable. Who doesn't, whoever doesn't obey will never experience eternal life. So if we truly believe, then we will follow with our obedience. So it's really important to examine our, what we believe and to just to determine if we really are in the faith. Uh, Denise Wilson is our guest. She's in Ontario, Canada. We got another segment with Denise. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Uh, I do want to remind you that my latest book has just been published. It's called The Reluctant Leader. And we take a look at why uh, leaders are so often reluctant to step up and lead when they have the opportunity. Uh, you'll enjoy this book. It's a little different slant on this whole industry of leadership. Uh, Denise Wilson, former missionary, church planter. The book, Seven Words You Never Want to Hear, and How to Be Sure You Won't. Fascinating book, intriguing title, uh, good meat in the book. We'll uh, be back 
uh, with Denise Wilson uh, from her home in Canada. But first, these messages. Denise Wilson is our guest from Ontario, Canada. We're talking about her book, Seven Words You Never Want to Hear. Denise, we've arrived at this topic, uh, repentance. Mm-hmm. And you call it the missing note. Uh, wh- why? Right. Why? Yeah, I call it the missing note because often um, people don't realize that it, that they need to repent. In order to be saved, you, you need to repent. You need to turn away from your sins. You need to realize that you're a sinner. Um, and I just I think sometimes the gospel is presented in such a way that people are so eager for people to make a decision that they don't present the the full gospel, which when you think about repentance, when John the Baptist came on the scene, his message was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus came into the scene, his message was repent. And then that the disciples, the message was repent. And then you go to the book of Acts and you find Peter preaching and he says he says to repent. And all the way through to the book of Revelation where um, we find in the letters to the churches, and the message is repent. So clearly, repentance is an essential part of the gospel. It's throughout the whole gospel, and therefore it's very important that we share that with people, or else we are giving an incomplete gospel. Let's move to the next topic. Strange fruit, you call it. Uh, what's that mean, mm-hmm. Denise? Yeah, well, it's clear from the Bible that um, we'll, we'll be known, Christians are known by their fruit. So if there isn't any fruit, then there's then there's no true faith. So um, it's, it's it's evidence. Once again, it's a way to determine if your faith is real. Is there fruit? And if you go to the book of Galatians, you have you have the fruit of the spirit, um, but then you also have a list of the fruit of unrighteousness, acts of unrighteousness, and um, so. It's imp- I think that would be a good passage to look at for a person if they're trying to examine themselves also to determine which fruit is evidence in their life. The good fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, or the fruit of unrighteousness, um, which, is, which comes before that where it says, when you follow your, the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, and it goes on, drunkenness and stuff like that. And it says, if that's the pattern of your life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So in other words, if that's the lifestyle, an ongoing lifestyle, I'm not talking about <clears throat> an, an, an incident that happened. I'm talking about if that's the ongoing pattern of your life then it says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're just very strong words, and there's at least four passages. There's in Galatians, Ephesians, um, Romans, and Corinthians, where there's lists given, and it says if this is the pattern of your life, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we really need to examine the fruit, because the fruit shows what's really going on in a person's life. So we have to be careful that we're not deceived into thinking that, um, our life is something that it's not, because the evidence of faith is uh, it, it comes out in our obedience and how we live. That's not it doesn't it doesn't save us by our good works, but it helps to determine, helps to show um, what's really going on in a person's life. Denise, uh, chapters seven and eight are confession and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I think they go together. Yeah. Uh, can you cover those two for us? Yeah. Well, confession, the, the real meaning of confess is to say the same thing as in others. That's the true definition of confession. So when you look at it in a spiritual way, to for me to confess my sins means to agree with God that what he calls sin really is sin. And I think that oftentimes we can deceive ourselves into thinking, well, that's not really sin. That's not really that bad. And I see nowadays that, you know, it's a very common practice. You know, people in the church, people who profess faith are accepting things that the Bible clearly says are sin and, and is, not, is not righteous. And um, we've kind of come up with our own rules. But to confess, you can't be saved unless you're willing to confess your sin and in order to confess your sin, you have to agree with God that what he calls sin really is sin. 
And when it comes to forgiveness, I mean, forgiveness is uh, part of the character of God. Forgiveness, our salvation is based on being forgiven for our sins. And I, uh, I talk about the ability to forgive. It's supernatural. And when we extend forgiveness, we are being like Jesus. So we can't be harboring unforgiveness in our heart for another person when we think of the mound of things that each of us has been forgiven for. So it's just, you know, it's the heart of God's forgiveness, and it needs to be in our character, too, if we're believers. I want you to explain, examine your obedience and examine your love. So those are the next two topics. Sure, sure. Well, to examine our obedience, um, I've alluded to that one already in saying that if you love me, Jesus said, you will obey me. And um, it's a test. Too. And, and in First John 2, 3, it says, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. So it's a test. If that's the desire of our hearts, are we wanting to obey? Or are we trying to kind of, you know, do things our own way? So it's, it's, it's also a test. First John is full of tests to see if you're in the faith. So if anyone's questioning, um, and we're all to examine ourselves, we need to go to the book of First John and to see where we stand. Um, what was the other one you'd asked me about? Well, 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 we we did uh, examine your obedience and then examine your loves. Oh yeah, examine your loves. Yeah, so we have to we have to determine what are the things that we love and uh, do we love do we love our sin? That's a, that's a good place to start. Do we love our sin or do we hate our sin? And as um, as believers. We need to love God and hate our sin. Um, I in that uh, section in the book on examining our loves, I talk about different different things um, in the world because we're said we're told we're not to love the world or the things in the world. Um, and if we do, the love of the Father is not in us. And it's just it's, it's a matter of priorities. I talk about the world's entertainment. I talk about the world's music. And it's not to say that we cannot enjoy these things. But the point is, can we do it in a way that is pleasing to God without compromising our faith, without um, do it, displeasing the Lord? I think about, you know, movies, for example, and you think, when, if I watch a movie, can I, can I, with a good conscience, watch something that um, has, shows people doing things that God hates? Would that be pleasing to the Lord? And so... Um, we just have to. We just have to be very careful, and it's not legalism. It's a matter of, of, of asking ourselves: Can I do this and please the Lord at the same time? And if the answer is yes, then that's great. And I just—it's just a matter of self-examination: Am I trying to please the Lord, or am I trying to please myself, or am I trying to please other people? So it's just examine the things in our life to see that we're pleasing the Lord and that we're really seeking after Him. Our guest is Denise Wilson. She's in Canada. Her book, Seven Words You Never Want to Hear. Uh, Denise, we've arrived at uh, this topic, uh, dying to self. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tell us more. Yeah. Well, the dying to self and the follow me chapter on discipleship, they really go go together. Because dying to self is a mark of a true disciple. So um, if you're dying to self, then you're then you're hopefully living for Jesus. If that's that's the whole that's what we're told to do, die to self and to live for Jesus. So that's what that's all about. Uh I want you to get to the topic of the gospel of greed. Uh yeah. what 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 do you write here? Yeah. Well I there I talk about, you know, today there's there's lots of false gospels out there and there's you know, we have to be careful um, we need to, you know, be like the Bereans who search the scriptures to make sure that what we're hearing and what people are saying is true. And there are many people out there, and the Bible warns us about people who will deceive us um, in the name of Jesus, um, just trying to get our money, right? Saying, you know, do this and give me this money and you'll be blessed. Um, and it's, we need to be diligent to um, to. Be true. Look at God's word and make sure that we are not getting involved in any of that. Because people are, you know, I give lots of examples in the book, and I won't get into them here of how that goes on um, in the world. And I also talk about the gospel of self, which 
I'm referring to the, the people who are preaching um, a me-centered gospel, and um, we need to be careful about that, too, because that's not—the gospel's not about what what's in it for me. Uh, my husband was telling me the other day about it. I think it was something he'd heard from John Piper asking somebody, "Where where is your treasure? What is your treasure? Is Jesus your treasure, or are you using Jesus to get your treasure? And— um, and I think a lot of there uh, there are a lot of groups out there, a lot of people out there that are using Jesus to get their treasure. They want to um, they're just presenting it about they're presenting a gospel that says do this and you'll be blessed. And I think we need to be very very careful that we don't uh, we don't we don't promote that and that we don't get um, deceived by that. Denise, I want you to tell us about the. Fifteenth topic, you call it the Gospel of Rome. Yes. Well, I in that chapter, I basically, what I do is I use the Catholic Catechism and I use the Bible, and I, and I um, put the two side by side, and I look at the way of salvation based on both of those, and just showing that um, according to the Bible— our salvation is through faith alone, in Christ alone, and by grace. And uh, it, it, there's nothing that we can add to it. The Church cannot add anything to that. We don't need to go through the Church or any human being. Christ is our mediator, and we can go directly to Him. So it's a chapter that really outlines in, in, in detail just teachings of the Catholic Church on baptism and the sacraments, and all those things, and putting those teachings alongside um, Scripture. And for anyone who's interested in that, you will see side by side what the, what the Catholic Church teaches and what the what the Bible teaches on those subjects. And it's very important that we don't we we don't get fooled into thinking that we can add anything to our salvation because Christ did it all, and it's up to us to accept it, to believe it, to repent of our sins, and to put our total trust and faith in Him. Uh, what does light versus darkness mean? That You do a whole chapter on that. Yes. Yeah, well, on that, I just look at, you know, the Bible talks about um, that we, if we are believers, then we need to be walking in the light. Um, God's holy, and if we are truly in Him, then we will be, we will be walking in the light, and we won't be walking in darkness. And there's um, you know, darkness and light, they can't coexist. So if, if we're a child of God, then we can't be participating in the activities that are in the darkness because they, they can't, they, they just don't, li- they don't live together. And uh, so I just talk about that. I go through, I just kind of, I go through, um, give examples of that and um, just encourage people, don't be deceived into thinking that God's okay with certain things when the Bible is clear that he's not. Um, Can you explain the next one? The mystery of salvation. What are you writing? Yeah. Well, in that one, I'm, I tell, I tell various stories of um, a few different people. I share, I share stories about how they came to know the Lord. I tell the story of a, friend of mine's father who was dying, and um, he he asked me, you know, to pray for his dad, and I just felt burdened to go visit his dad, and so I went to see Mr. Hardy in the hospital, and as far as I knew, he was not a believer, and when I went there, he started talking, and he started making, you know, statements to me like, oh, I love, I, I love the Lord, I, I'm just, I, yeah, he just said all kinds of really um, powerful statements as far as what he believed and his trust in the Lord. And, um, and so I went home and I was thinking, this is so strange because I went and I didn't think this man was saved. And, um, and then it became clear to me that, you know, he didn't pray a prayer, but at some point as we were talking, it just became clear that God had done a work in his heart. I didn't pray with him. I didn't do anything with him, but God, you know, God saves us in his own time, and he reached into Mr. Hardy's heart, and he accepted the Lord. And I tell the story a lot better in the book, but it was uh, it was just a beautiful, it was just a beautiful moment. And, um, and you know, salvation happens in God's way. 
My guest has been Denise Wilson. Her book, Seven Words You Never Want to Hear. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, We'll be right back. Stephen Seward there for you. Steve, it's Pat Williams in Orlando. How are you? Hi, Pat. How are you? I'm great, Steve. Uh, where, where have I found you? Where are you? I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Good. Well, thanks for getting up early. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's not that early here. It's 8.30 in the morning. Yeah, that, that's great. Steve, we're taping. This will air across Central Florida uh, in early April. Uh, we've got a 15-minute segment and then a 10-minute segment. Uh, I'm going to work off the table of contents. Uh, I'll set you up with each chapter. Uh, you, te- oh, okay. you, you fill us in, and then I'll move on to the next one. And, uh, and we'll see how much we can cover. Okay. And you also got uh, – Sam sent you a few weeks ago uh, discussion questions. Uh, yes. The interview, Yes. Yes, he, okay. did, he did, and I'm gonna. But I'm gonna work. I'm gonna set you up. Uh, you know, for example, uh, in chapter one, Steve, you you write paradox and invitation. What, what does that mean? Uh, okay. So that's that, so that's that's how we're gonna go about it. All right, here we go. Our guest in that first segment was Denise Wilson, talking about her book Seven Words You Never Want to Hear. She was in Ontario, Canada. Well, we go from Ontario, Canada to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yeah, we found Steve Stewart there, founder and president of Impact Nations, author of The Beatitudes for Times of Crisis. Steve, welcome to Orlando. How are you doing? I'm fine, Pat. Uh, you have another Ontario connection. I was born and raised in Ontario, Canada. Hey, how about that? I didn't know it. Didn't know it. Well, we, we, uh, the, the Lord does good things. Steve, uh, uh, tell me about your book. Yeah, uh, I wrote this book with a real sense of urgency, to be honest with you. Um, We are obviously in a time uh, of, you know, international crisis, really. Uh, We've got all the things we know. We've got COVID, racial injustice. Uh, the political turmoil, which, of course, boiled over in January, economics, it's been called the perfect storm. And um, and that's why I wrote this with urgency, because I am, I am convinced for a whole bunch of reasons that, uh, that the Beatitudes uh, really are an anchor. They're a compass giving us direction, and they really help us to to follow the Jesus way, and we need to do that right now. Your first chapter is called Paradox and Invitation. Uh, why uh, that title? What's, what's the story? Well, the, uh, the invitation part is, is, I think, pretty clear. Um, the Beatitudes are really inviting us into a whole way of life, um, and, uh, you know, Jesus' invitation marks, especially, I think, uh, Matthew's Gospel, again and again, he invited. The paradox, and this is the longer I went into the Beatitudes, and they've actually been a, a part of my own, you know, prayer life for a number of years, <clears throat> we can talk about that in a minute, but the longer I've gone into them, the more I've seen that the paradox is that they they lead me if I'll let them a lot deeper into uh, my true self, my unadorned self, and in that they lead me into a deeper place with Christ. But at the same time, from that going inward, they send me outward. Uh, they send me uh, out uh, to the world around me with a very different perspective than I had before. I would also say they, they, they go deep, so they take me down, and then lead me up much more into a, um, a heavenly or divine perspective of events. And, uh, and that's why I said that, that they're filled with that, that kind of paradox. 
You then move to the uh, next topic, chapter two, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, uh, what are you writing here, Steve? Well, I think that uh, that verse, Matthew 5, 3, is, I think, the keystone uh, of all of the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. It is the absolute foundation uh, Blessed, it's been transliterated so many ways. Blessed are those who come to the end of the rope, I think Eugene Peterson said. Uh, blessed are those who've come to the end of themselves. Um, poverty of spirit is, is, again, when we get to kind of a raw honesty with the Lord and ourselves, and we realize our total, total need, total dependency. Um, it's interesting. It's the only time that phrase is used in uh, in all of the New Testament, and I think that this poverty of spirit covers every range really of our life. But it is the foundation pad uh, for all of the other beatitudes. Before we go on in the beatitudes, let me just say that the church fathers, the early church, often used the analogy of a ladder in. Uh, in explaining or looking at the Beatitudes, that each Beatitude is built on the rung below it. So that as we really come to terms with our poverty of spirit, it leads us into uh, mourning, meekness. Uh, without without the, those, we're in trouble when we hit a hunger for justice and righteousness, or later peacemakers, because Otherwise, if they're not built on that that essential beginning, we easily can turn to frustration, uh, judgment, uh, etc., which sadly we we hear too much of um, in this day. Steve, blessed are those who mourn. That's your next topic. Yeah, well, that was Jesus' next topic, but yes, I... uh, Blessed are those who mourn, and I I touch on three areas, and it's interesting because as I've had feedback, you know, emails and and so forth from readers, I'm surprised at how often this chapter is what they they write about. Uh, I'm talking about um, mourning over our own sin, our own failing, our own judgment, criticism. Um, And you can see, Pat, that comes right out of the first beatitude. But then there's also a mourning over, not only it can be that the sins of of the world, the sin that's around us, but just the brokenness that's around us. You know, um, the last 10 days, we've we've had to deal with with two terrible incidents of, of gun violence. And I'm sure that for many of us, it's, oh, Lord, uh, forgive us, uh, heal us, save us, uh, rescue us from this. So so mourning for my own sin and then mourning for the, the, the brokenness of the world. And Jesus not only took our sin to the cross, he took all brokenness. But there's a third that I write about, and I, I call it existential mourning. And this is, this is a deep mourning that that if we get in touch with it, 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 it's always there. It's because we are, as, for example, Peter said, we are, are strangers, aliens, sojourners in this world. We're not home. Uh, we're on our way home, but we're not home. Uh, the home of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth, the, 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 the constant presence of the glory of God. We're not home. And deep down, we know that this, no matter how well life goes, this still isn't it. And and so there is a, a lonesomeness. Uh, C.S. Lewis called it a homesickness. Um, and I think that the only way we get there, I was just reading in my morning, reading this morning in Proverbs, is that if we don't stop and slow down, we don't listen. And... Um, and in this whole process of going deeply through the Beatitudes, we begin to get to to that core existential mourning 
and we find comfort because the thing I also want to say about this beatitude, about the Beatitudes, they all bring hope because if you look, Pat, at every one of them, the first half is is crucifixion, the second half is resurrection. The, the, it's the promise uh, that you will be comforted. You will be comforted. It's not a superficial comfort, and it's not a superficial mourning. Um, and so it's so important for us in looking at the Beatitudes that we understand that that crucifixion and resurrection. You know, Pat, these, these Beatitudes can be read at so many levels. Um, they have been called the biography of Jesus, and I really believe that. I really, really believe that, that, that these reveal who he is and what, what goes on in his heart. And he invites us into that. We're back to the word invitation. He invites us into, um, yeah, into his morning. Uh, in, into, uh, the next one is meekness. And he clearly says, learn from me, for I am gentle or meek, same word, and lowly. That, that we're learning from his example. That's why, you know, he always says, uh, follow me. And um, and that's where we're following him, among other things. My guest from Albuquerque, New Mexico, Steve Stewart, author of the Beatitudes for Times of Crisis. Uh, we have covered um, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. Steve, I'm at uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, what are you writing here? Okay. Well, one thing for your listeners to know is that without exception, uh, in both Old and New Testament, the word for righteousness and justice is the very same word. The translators just contextualize and determine which which word to use. And um, there is a great hunger uh, for for justice, righteousness and justice. Uh, You know, I believe it's a move of the Spirit. Uh, Pat, I just I just have to tell you, I believe the Holy Spirit is doing this, this this awareness of injustice, and it's not just in America, and it's not just in North America. It is. I do a lot of work in Australia. Um, I do a lot of work in in Asia. It is it is global this awakening, and it's like we hit a tipping point a year ago. And, and it has now gone all over the world. And it's a deep, deep longing for justice. You know, Psalm, um, Psalm 11, 7 says God, God loves justice. And if you read Psalm 9 and 10, you'll see how he hates injustice. So when there is a longing and at times almost a godly anger, uh, the key being a godly anger, because we must remember the first beatitude, that that um, that we're in step with what I believe he's doing. Jesus said that his opening uh, in Luke, his first public sermon, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. And I believe there's an anointing of the spirit for this time, because something that has been there for, for in our country for, you know, 300 years or more um, has now risen up. And, and what I love here, those who are hungering, they hunger out of a place of mourning. They hunger out of a place of meekness and poverty, knowing, uh, knowing our own weaknesses, you know. Um, but we identify with it. It's not, look what they're doing, but, oh, God, what we're doing. Isn't that what Daniel did in, in Chapter 9 of Daniel? That, that forgive us. And and then the promise, you're going to be satisfied, you're going to be filled, that through the brokenness, you say, you're going to find, I'm going to find you in that, I'm going to meet you in that. I think, he says, I'm going to surprise you again and again in that. Um, but this is one of those Beatitudes we need to be so, so careful. Otherwise, we fall into the terrible divisiveness that is going on in America, and I'm sad to say... Uh, to a, a reasonable degree in the church. We mustn't fall into divisiveness. We mustn't fall into judging. We, we come into a place of hunger for righteousness, but recognizing 
our own culpability, our own failure, our own inconsistency. So that's what I would say in a nutshell on, on that beatitude. I, I, of course, Pat, I've got a lot to say on each one of these. Sure. Um, and I encourage people to, to, to go to get the book and to go let it take it deep. Because the church history, I purposely wrote this book, Pat, uh, with, with lots of references that go from my most current one was a book that was published while I was just finishing this book. But my references go all the way back to about 100 A.D. And, and purposely I draw from the full range of the church and church history. And, and you'll see that these issues and the Beatitudes have been this anchor, but as I said earlier, also this, this compass of, of where we're going uh, for two millennia. My guest, Steve Stewart. Uh, we've got another segment with Steve. His book is called The Beatitudes for Times of Crisis. I just want to remind you folks, uh, we are trying to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando, and you can be a big help. We have an, a website, orlandodreamers.com, orlandodreamers.com. Just go up there and and uh, register. Just say, I like this idea. I'm for it. I'd uh, uh, love to see this happen, and I'm, I'm backing you on this. orlandodreamers.com. More with Steve Stewart. Stay with us. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Right here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. My guest, Steve Stewart in Albuquerque. Book, The Beatitudes for Time of Crisis. Um, Steve, we've arrived at uh, Blessed Are the Merciful Part 1 and Blessed Are the Merciful Part Mm -hmm. 2. Why don't you take uh, both of them in one bite? Okay. Well, mercy is right at the heart of the Lord, isn't it? Uh, the Lord, the Lord, full of mercy and loving kindness. When when Moses asked, uh, you know, show me, show me who you are, show me your glory. He says, I am full of mercy. I believe with all my heart, uh, and I preached this for a number of years, that the whole movement of God in the cosmos is in the direction of mercy and forgiveness and love. And that when we walk in that direction, uh, when we choose that, then then we are walking in the rhythm of God. We are walking in the rhythm of the kingdom. Yeah. Pat, I I head up an organization called Impact Nations, and we work all over the developing world. And what what really motivates us is our deep conviction that the gospel of the kingdom of God touches every part of life. That when we see people come to Christ, and we see thousands of them come to Christ, the kingdom has come. When we see people healed, when we, we I was just telling somebody the other day, a little girl, about five years old, and she was born deaf, and in a moment, God opened her ears, and now she's not the deaf girl in the village. That's obviously the kingdom. But it's also the kingdom when we get clean water to communities that are uh, are suffering greatly from uh, unsafe drinking water. It's the, it's the kingdom when we get food to the hungry. Pat, we think of how difficult, and it's legitimate, how difficult economically it's been the last year in our world. You can hardly imagine what it's like in Africa and India, where they are literally starving to death. So for us, we, we get food, I think, about 2 million meals this last year. I, I get, we get teams out as you and I are talking. There's, I think it's 41 teams distributing food in northern India to the desperately, desperately hungry. All of that is mercy. Mercy isn't just a feeling. Mercy is active. Uh, it's we do mercy. We, we, we embrace following Jesus who walked in mercy. And and it's so easy for us in in our North American evangelical paradigm to confuse feelings with with action. Jesus never said, you know, blessed are those who feel good about mercy. He says, 
said, blessed are those who are merciful, who step out in mercy. Um, while I'm on a little bit of a cul-de-sac, your listeners, I would encourage them to go to impactnations.com and look at what mercy looks like around the world. Uh, you know, getting getting uh, women out of prostitution, people out of prison, uh, teaching them how to start businesses. It's all mercy, Pat. We don't do it for any other motivation but that we are following the merciful one, the Lord, the Lord, full of mercy and loving kindness. And and so another reason why I would encourage people to get this book is it, it moves us out of theory and into practice. And isn't that what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? The one who hears my words and puts them into practice is building his his life on a rock. The one who hears my words says, oh, I love those words, and doesn't put them into practice. His, his life's built on, on, on sand, on self-delusion, on unreality. And so the great challenge of, the, of Jesus and the gospel has always been to have a distinct people who live a different way, not just think a different way. And so that's what I would have to say about blessed are the merciful. Let's move uh, to the next topic, blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, Fill us in on this, Steve. Well, the pure in heart is, of course, it takes us back, doesn't it, Pat? We're down the ladder again. We're down the ladder of of recognizing our own poverty of spirit, but but I think that that pure of heart, um, it means interestingly enough from the Greek uh, from which we get uh, uh, cathartic, but it means uh, to be without mixture, and the pure essence of God uh, is love, and I think that Jesus finds purity of heart irresistible. And no wonder, no wonder he says that they're going to see God. You know, the scriptures talk a lot, uh, even in the Old Testament, a lot about delighting, delighting in the Lord, delighting in the Lord. Uh, I think purity ties in with, with living in the light and living in love. And, and it doesn't Paul talks about that again and again in Romans. He talks about it in Philippians, First uh, John, and it is it's a purity uh, of heart that begins to open our eyes to who is this King of Glory, and and, and that's the promise. We begin to see Him. We begin to understand Him in the deepest way that that we ever. Uh, beyond what we ever have known before. That's why these Beatitudes are a journey. They're, they're, they're a, a life realignment. And so, yes, we need to live in purity. You know, James talks about that and cleansing our hearts. And David, right, Psalm 51, created me a clean heart. But, but the heart is, is, is the essence of who we are. And the promise, and it's a promise, all I know is, imperfectly, through a glass darkly, as, as Paul says, uh, my, my, it's incomplete, but I know I am moving more and more toward a deep experiential uh, seeing God. I love one of my favorite verses in all of Paul's writing is Second Corinthians 3.18, and, and he says that all of us, with unveiled faces, see the glory of the Lord as through a reflected mirror. We are all being transformed by the word. By the way, that word is the same as transfigured, like the Mount of Transfiguration. We are all being transformed into His image, from one degree of glory to another. So, beholding Him, purity of heart changes us. Now. I want you to dive in to Blessed Are the Peacemakers, Part 1 and Part 2. Take it from here, Steve. Okay. Well, this is, I, I, I had to write two lengthy chapters on this. This is a huge, huge issue for us right now, isn't it, Pat? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we're, we're seeing the need for peacemaking 
uh, and I would have to say even within the church, um, the the politicization of the church is is a result of us getting our eyes off the gospel, and it, it's almost undeniable uh, to 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 take any other position than then there is a great politicization that's gone on in the church. And um, and so with that has come predictably disagreement, uh, disassociation. I, 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 again, yesterday I heard from someone who said that, that because of all of this, they've now, he's now got people in the church who won't talk to him, right, because he's not political enough in either the right or the left, that peacemaking is hard work. Peacemaking is not appeasement. That's just peacekeeping. And Jesus, again, he never said, blessed are those who like peace, who are for peace. He said, blessed are those who make peace. And it's proactive, Pat. It, it, it requires uh, proactive steps, proactive decisions. And I promise you, if you commit to making peace, and Jesus says, "You're you're you're a son of God." You do that. You you are moving exactly in the in the family mold. But I promise you, if you make peace, you 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 determine to be a peacemaker. You're going to hit resistance. You're going to hit conflict. If we actually attempt to make peace, we are going to find out quickly we're surrounded by those who wish we just keep quiet. Let's move. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, Steve. We ate this half hour up. I mean, like, whew, it's, it's done. Steve Stewart has been our guest. We've got a one-minute wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Well, thanks for joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Denise Wilson was our guest in the first segment talking about her book, Seven Words You Never Want to Hear. And then Steve Stewart joined us uh, from New Mexico, talking about the Beatitudes for Times of Crisis. And make sure you go up to Amazon. A wonderful way to order books, uh, including Steve Stewart's latest, The Beatitudes for Times of Crisis. We are always very pleased when you join us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We... Uh, Lineup guests, uh, many of them authors, of course, uh, talking about their latest work. And uh, it it's just honors us when you take time to plug in and check out who, who we're talking with. Well, we'll be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned all day long to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. And uh, have a wonderful week ahead.